Well, you would have been so proud of our students. Um, they were absolutely magnificent. Um, <clears throat> we had a, a fantastic time down there. Um, our students, um, uh, you'd be so proud of them, man. They represented us as a church uh, so well. Uh, Despite what they told their parents, they worked really, really hard, uh, got a lot done uh, out there. Um, one of, uh, and we had a lot of fun with it too. Like God did so many beautiful things that there were deep moments. Uh, there were fun moments. One of uh, my favorite moments was uh, we actually set up a fire building contest one evening, you know, work on fire building skills as long as we were out camping over there. And uh, hats off to the senior boys. Are you guys in here? Yeah, wherever you are. Yeah, they won the fire building contest. There's hope for the world, right? We have young people coming up and they know how to build a fire, right? Y'all did actually really well. They, they had a fire going like that and burned through the string uh, be, before you know it. But um, it, it's just, I, I wish you could have been there and just uh, watched it and been a part of it. There were just like so many good things uh, going on uh, with it, both in all of us and in our kids, but also in the people that we were ministering to. And as I, as I was thinking about it this week and just, uh, you know, soaking it all in, there's actually something um, very specific about that trip that, that I want to share just because it illustrates uh, in a way the main point that I want to make out of my message this morning. And, you know, this morning we're talking about what it is to be uh, Christ-centered. What does it mean to be Christ-centered? Uh, because you'll hear us talk about that oftentimes, that we want to be a Christ-centered uh, church. And so I want you to think about this uh, trip for a moment and, and really actually think about like three years ago. So uh, three years ago, I believe, was the first time we had worked with One Mission. This was the, a organization that we do this through, and we've done it through other organizations in the past, but there's some things about them that I'll get into in another time of, of why they're aligned with us at some really key moments and values that it just have been really significant. But three years ago, uh, we take a group of students, uh, we go down there, and, and you've got you've to picture this and imagine this, especially three years ago. You, you go into a neighborhood that doesn't look like what we think of as a neighborhood, okay? Um, they're not structures uh, that we would just look at and go, I think those are homes, right? Um, there wasn't hardly any electricity and uh, no uh, indoor plumbing, and uh, what we think of as roads, like... Not really roads, not even hardly dirt roads as we think of, of dirt roads, just kind of pathways through there. Um, lots of things we'd look at and go, man, so much despair, right? Uh, the, you know, education, very, very low. Illiteracy, very, very high. And you look at all of that. But we, we got to go in there and, 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 this is, and this is part of one of those values that is so important to us as a church. We didn't go there and build homes for somebody and then just give it to them. The whole value behind this is we went and we went and built homes with uh, people, with the people that were going to be living in these homes. That, that there's a part of this of understanding as followers of Christ, um, not just like there's this thing of, of building dignity in people and, and being open and curious and learning from others, not just going in and, and just being the know-it-alls or the ones that just have everything and, and, and we're here to take care of it. It's like there's this kind of uh, 
community that gets formed and this building of relationships uh, that is beautiful. But three years ago, we went and worked on uh, uh, three homes uh, down there. And so now we went back here just uh, recently this year. And while we had hoped to have gotten back there sooner because of everything going on in the world, couldn't. But God was doing some beautiful things down there while we were gone. I mean, some amazing things down there. There was one of the homes that we had worked on uh, three years ago that when I first saw it, I didn't even recognize it. In fact, you're seeing some pictures of it right now behind me. Um, uh, Like they had uh, put in a huge patio and they had added some windows and they had these beautiful uh, like wagon wheel benches they'd put in and they put this little ramada in the backyard and this little basketball hoop and people from all over the community would come and they would like it became this hub within the community this like christ-centered hub that this couple that um got that house like they like christ just started shining through them in all of these different ways and doing some of these beautiful beautiful things in, in this neighborhood and you could feel it Um, And one of the other uh, cool things that came out of this trip was uh, we had four work sites. So we were were helping to work on four homes. Uh, One of the homes that one of our high school groups were working on uh, and uh, Angel was, uh, Angel Trejo, someone from our church here who was there with these students and stuff working on it. From their work site, you could actually see across, not too far away, you could see this home that we had worked on three years ago. it was like right there. And the couple that was going to be getting the home that we were, that Angel and his team were working on this time was Salvador and Miriam. And they're this wonderful couple. They have this little boy named Caleb who was just a delight. Uh, he loved to play catch and he has a really good arm. So you had to pay attention because if he started playing, playing catch and you weren't ready, it could hurt. And I say that from experience, okay? He's going to be a talented ball player someday, all right? Um, but it, it was just amazing just to get to know them a little bit, even talking with uh, Miriam. You know, their weekly combined salary or income was about $30. Imagine, imagine trying to live off of $30 a week. Um, they didn't have a wedding when they got married because they couldn't afford it. They could barely afford to be uh, married, let alone have a wedding. But Miriam spoke of such delight about the community of Christians that she belonged to and how this community of Christians were like, you need a wedding. And so everyone in the community was going to come together and offer something different so that they could have a wedding. And they had their wedding this past Wednesday. This past Wednesday, they got married because this yeah, this little community that we got to be a part of starting like three years, actually more than that. We were working with a different group helping to build homes in this area. But they, they, they just became this kind of Christ-centered community that just in a unpredictable, organic way lived out their faith that just unpredictable, but it would just do all of these different things. And the next thing you know, they're all coming together and they're providing for this uh, wedding so that um, these uh, Salvador and Miriam can get uh, married. And when one of our students had asked about like, where's the wedding going to be? Miriam points to the house we helped build three years ago. And she said, I'm getting married right over there. 
and you think about what happened, that we helped build this little house three years ago that has now become this hub. And it's not, not just a physical hub of, of, of Christ-centered community, but a relational hub. We weren't there for the last three years, but Christ was. And Christ kept working in this. And there was this beautiful thing that was happening out of the spirit of Christ that was at work in that place. All right? They didn't follow any patterns or programs or, you know, it was Jesus that was leading them in some unique way. And, and to get to just be a part of that for several days, it just reminded me of one of these things about why we seek to be a Christ-centered church and how Christ wants to work in us and does work in us, both as a community, but also in our individual faith relationships uh, with him. So I, I, wanna, I wanna talk about something that I saw there that I thought was really key that I have seen here, but I want us to be really clear about this. Like, so when we say we're Christ-centered, we could take that a lot of different ways, right? In some ways, all, uh, all churches are Christ-centered, right? And there'd be things that we share with other churches and beliefs and doctrines and stuff like uh, pretty much all churches would be Christ-centered in that they would believe that Jesus was the son of God. They would believe that the work that Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, right, provides redemption and forgiveness for us that we, we, we can be saved and have life in relationship with Christ because of that. We share all of that. But there are also uniquenesses, right? Every church, God leads them in different ways. And, and I wanna talk about some of the uniquenesses of what we mean when we say, we're a Christ-centered church. And, and there's one particular one that I want to deal with uh, here this morning. Um, and it gets at something that is said in the Great Commission by Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter uh, 28. And we're going to look at the very end of this chapter. And while you're turning there, let me just say this. That um, th there's, there's something that flows out of this that... Uh, that again, kind of saw down in Mexico. And we want to lift this quality out in us and live this out more and more. But here's, here's the, the basic idea behind it. And I'm gonna start with verse 19 and read through kind of the classic understanding of what we think of as when we think of the Great Commission. And, and remember, these are the last words that Matthew writes in his gospel. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, right? Be a church that is leading people to have a relationship with me, Jesus is saying, with Jesus Christ, to know him. And then he goes on, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, teach them. How, what it means to follow me. And when you think about Jesus' commands, two commands, right? Love God, love others. Those are the two things that Jesus described in the gospels as his commands. Now, then there's one last line that we often leave out of the Great Commission when we think about the Great Commission. But this is the last words Jesus speaks that, that Matthew records and Matthew chooses to end his gospel on these words. And here's, here's what he says, right? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And just let those words sink in for a moment because I, I think they're more remarkable than we think. He says, I am with you 
always, and literally out of the Greek, if you were to translate this idea, always, it is daily. I am with you daily. I am with you today. I will be with you tomorrow. I will be with you the next day and the next day and all of the next days ever to come. I am with you in this. And here's what we believe about this. That this is not just a nice sentiment that Jesus is like, you know, like a greeting card or a, a nice way of, you know, a hug and, and, and a goodbye, I'll see you tomorrow. Or, you know, when you go on that trip, I'll be thinking about you. This isn't Jesus just saying, hey, I'm going to leave this earth in, in bodily form and I'll be up in heaven, but I'll be thinking about you. I believe that what Jesus is saying here is literally saying, I will be with you. Because what the New Testament teaches us about this, and we're going to look at a few verses on this, is not just with you in the sense of like next to you, but with you because he is in you. He is abiding. He is residing in you. And to really understand that, to understand Christ-centeredness is beginning with the idea that Christ is actually abiding in our hearts and in our souls. That'll change the personality of a church, of a community. it'll, It'll change the tone of even who you are as a person and how you live out of your spiritual life. So this morning, I want, I want to talk about this. And, and here's, here's how I would phrase uh, this, this first point on, on this, or this belief, and then we'll, we'll unpack this. Um, and it's this, Jesus re- resides within, every, within, within our very souls. Jesus resides within our very souls. Right, we, and this isn't just a theological belief. We, we want to take this to a very practical level. And here's the next level I, I'll take this down to. The next practical level I take it down to is this. He is the greatest source of identity, guidance, and strength for our everyday lives. This, the, the, the first and greatest place that we turn and understand who we are and how we're guided and, and led in living life is with him. The strength that we draw on for what we go through, what we endure, what, whether it's an exciting challenge or whether uh, th- there's great heartache that we face and, and we're looking for strength and how to navigate it, it starts with Jesus Christ who is abiding in our very being in this. That's where it starts for us when we say we are Christ-centered. This is it. This is, this is where it starts. Um, let, let me unpack just a couple of, of verses very quickly for you in this, because if, if we think about this idea, does Jesus actually reside in us? Um, flip over to the book of Galatians, a little further in your New Testament. Galatians chapter four, and I want to read just the first part of verse six, because Paul writes this. He says, because you are sons and daughters, right? Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into what? Our hearts, our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father, right? Like the, the 
Jesus is the one who can look at God the Father and say, you're my Father, Abba Father. And what he's saying is, that is the one who resides in your heart. Think about that for a moment. Um, And this is actually a common thing that you see throughout the New Testament, this idea that when we become a follower of Christ, the essence of Christ, his personage, actually resides, abides within each and every one of us. Um, There's a great passage that we'll look at in more depth uh, in a few weeks in a a different series, but it's over in uh, the book of Colossians. Over in Colossians chapter 1, Paul walks out this idea that there's this mystery. There's this mystery about God and and that what is now happening with Jesus in the world and what Jesus has done, this mystery is now being made known. There's there's something about this mystery of God that we can now understand. And he says, this mystery, this is what this mystery is, which is Christ in you, right? And he writes this after Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Jesus is no longer in you know, in bodily form in the world. But what he's saying is Christ is in you. And you see this again and again in scripture, this idea. And so the practicality of that is that if Jesus is really abiding in us, we want to tap into that. We want to experience, right, the unpredictable nature of Jesus actually in us and relationally engaging us in life, that he will be our greatest source for understanding who we are, but our greatest source for guidance and our greatest source for the strength of all the things that we navigate uh, in this uh, life and that we live in that. That's what he's getting at. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna just take the rest of my time and actually just walk through how do we engage Engage the practicality of that in a daily way. How, what are just some of the things that I can do uh, to do that uh, here? So, and, and I want to kind of point out three things uh, here this, this morning that all of us can do to maybe live more in this reality of Jesus within us. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is, is within you. So uh, I, I want to start with this idea of our identity. And, and here's the first point of application with this, and it's simply this. Um, to be Christ-centered means uh, to trust the place you have as God's child, right? If Jesus is in you, there is something that he is showing you and wants to pull you in about who you are. Um, flip over to the book of Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight, because it shares something about this whole identity piece and Christ who is in us. Look at verse 16. He says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit. In other words, this is all going on inside of us because Christ is in us. Testifies with our spirit that we are God's what? Children. We're his child. Um, Now, if we are children, then we are, and he just notches this up, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God. And I think this is so amazing, this next line here. And co-heirs with Christ. I mean, it almost sounds like blasphemy to say, I'm a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And just like, well, you're thinking a whole lot of yourself, right? 
But it's in the Bible, right? It's it's like this thing where it's like God wants us to know. And there's this beautiful thing where he's saying, and, and he's wanting to testify this to us in our very hearts. But here's the struggle that I think we have so often in this is, is that like there's a part of this where we've all experienced this moment where we feel like God is testifying to us. You're my child, you're my child. You are the, you are the brother or sister by adoption with Jesus himself. That's what it means to be a co-heir with Christ, right? And I hear so many Christians at different moments that would say, yes, I'm a child of God. But they say it as a, like a doctrinal statement, but where they hold their sense of identity and value in being is like, there's this yeah, but that comes after it, right? I'm a child of God. Yeah, but, and then, and maybe this is you. You think of your brokenness. You think of points of failure. You think of all the things you haven't done. You think about how amazing God is, and maybe you, you just say, gosh, I, like, I should never like, really think of myself that way. Like, that, that's being too assuming, or I may be a child of God, but I am so broken, and I am so messed up, and I'm so far from what God really wants me to be. Like, I, like, there's no way God really thinks of me as being valuable or worthy. Like, I'd never say, like I'm worthy of God's love or, I, or like, like it, it just, it, but can I tell you, I think the spirit of Jesus in you is testifying to something different, that, that you are a co-heir, that you are, you are something valuable and worthy to God in this. And let, let me help you think of it in this way, because if you're struggling, and, and I see so many Christians that, that struggle with this notion on this, and, and the reason this is important is because if we think of ourselves somewhere on this place of just, I'm, I'm broken, I'm a failure, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a terrible, struggling, lousy sinner, right? You may sin. There's a difference between acknowledging and owning your sin or struggles with temptation and seeing yourself as a lousy, no good sinner. Because if you see yourself as that, it may seem humble, but the truth is it will get in the way of you living with strength and joy and boldness in the things that God has for you. You, you, are, you are not seeing yourself the way God sees you. Let, let me do a little exercise. It maybe would help with this. I want you to picture for a moment a, a baby, but a specific baby. I want you to think of a baby that is maybe in your family, maybe in your extended family, maybe in your group of friends, or just like a, think of a little child, a little baby that you know well, right? Okay, I want you to think of their face and the sound they make when they cry, Okay. Got that image in your brain, right? Because I really want you to think of a specific child in this. Okay, so first question is you're thinking about that little child or that little baby. Um, ask yourself, how much gets spent on that little baby, that specific baby, right? How many dollars get spent on that baby? 
I bet it's a bunch because kids are just expensive, right? And the younger the kid is, the more junk you have to buy, right, for it. It's just like, if you want to just travel someplace and you've got an infant, I'm, you've got to buy strollers and car seats and, and those baby cabana things. And it's just like, it's crazy, right? And heaven forbid you've got to go like on an overnight trip someplace, right? And you've got to have an SUV just to haul all the stuff, right? Think of all of that. But not just what's spent in dollars. Think about the kind of energy and time, emotional energy, and, and just sheer hours that are spent taking care of that baby. I bet it's a lot. Think, think of all the stinky, poopy diapers that have to be changed. I think it's just the history of that kid, it's going to be a pile of those, right? I remember back with my own kids changing diapers. It just, there were too many of them, right? Remember the, the moments where you'd open up that diaper and the, and the smell would hit you. I, mean, like, I remember there were a few moments where my gag reflex started, you know, like... <laughs> And you're just like, I got to get through this. Just, just, and you get through it. And then you hear that sound, smell that smell. And you're like, no, not right. It's been too like, you know, right? Think of all that goes into taking care of that little child. Okay, now, next question. How many, how many tasks or chores is that baby doing to offset the financial and emotional and, and time costs that have been invested in that child, right? I don't know. Any, anyone know a five-month-old that's like changing his or her own diapers now? <laughs> no, because that'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, or, you know, you, you, you've got a 10-month-old that's just knocking it out of the park on eBay, right? They're making macaroni artwork or something, you know, with glue and crayons or something and just making lots of money on eBay to help offset the cost of diapers and formula and, and strollers and stuff, right? Probably not, right? Like... In one sense, in one sense, they've not earned anything, have they? In one sense, they're not worthy of anything that has come their way, right? It's just math, right? But that's probably not how you think of it, is it? Because in another sense, in a relational sense, you just picture that little child's face in your mind and their worth is unmeasurable to you. The value they hold in your heart and your mind is beyond any, any amount that you could put to it, isn't it? And what God is trying to explain throughout the New Testament is that's how he sees you and me. Sure, we've not earned our salvation. You, you bet. Like, there's sin and temptation that we give into in life. Like, but that's not the kind of math that God's working in your life, friends. You are a co-heir, a child of God. See? And there's something that to be Christ-centered is to understand you are of such value that Jesus himself in spirit came to abide in you. That's the starting place. That is the place we, we come to understand who we are in Christ. And part of what I want to encourage all of you in is to understand 
how, how do I pay attention to starting in that place in my spiritual life, right? To be Christ-centered is to understand how Christ sees us and to live out of who he says we are, okay? So that's a practical way of stepping into living out of Christ in you. Um, A second thing in all of this uh, simply would be this. Look for Jesus in the mundane, in your life. And by mundane, I mean in the ordinary, right? In the ordinary things of life. Sometimes we think about following God and we think about those specific things that are like either it's the really big deal, right, in our life. It's just like the big questions of like, who am I going to marry? And like, you know, um, is, there, is there something specific that God is calling me to? But you know, what Jesus said was he said, I will be with you daily. I'm, I'm with you all the time. I, I'm, I, I want to be a part of guiding your life in the big things and the little things in life. I, like I'm there with you and in you. And so uh, one way to walk this out is uh, what I'm going to call is just uh, the, the ability to just learn how to pause at different moments, right? As you're going through your day and you're trying to figure something out, um, sometimes it's it's just learning how to pause. You're getting ready to post something on social media. It'd be a great moment there to just pause and maybe go, Jesus, are you in there right now? <laughs> Any opinions, Jesus, about this post I'm about ready to make here? Like, because maybe if you just paused, you'd feel that nudge and go, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to do something a little bit different with this post. Maybe there's something that God puts on your heart that sways you in a way that's more kind. Or maybe you come to look at it and go, you know, that's really about me. Or maybe you go, hmm, I don't know that I add anything good with this particular post. I'll just not post it right now, right? Learn how to just pause in a moment and see how Christ might actually influence a decision that you make. Maybe it's pausing at a moment where there's something going on in your family and you're just frustrated. You've just walked into the kitchen and there's a frustrating moment. Just pause for a second and you may still say the same things, but what if Christ coaches you a little bit in how to say it differently? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Maybe it's a moment and you're the one that, that is, the frustration is directed toward, right? Maybe you could pause before you respond in that moment. Sometimes it's just pausing to say, Jesus, is there something you're trying to tell me? Which if if looking to Jesus in the mundane uh, means learning to pause, um, then there's also this moment of learning to pay attention. Just learn to pay attention in those moments. When you pause, maybe it's not even in moments uh, that you pause. Maybe it's just in the circumstances that are going on in life. Pay attention to how Jesus might want to say something just really basic or how he might lead you in a moment. I saw this in Mexico. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna go back, just again, really practical illustration. We're down there, right? 
to uh, swing hammers and saws and, and put stucco up on the side of everything. And there were so many beautiful moments where work got paused because there was a student that saw a little kid and walked over to that kid and gave that child some attention. There were beautiful moments when one of our students stopped to just have a conversation with someone that was gonna be a future owner of that house, where they just, and, and, and I just watched people light up that these people that came from another country, they walked away going, they care about me. And it was because in one way or another, it's like there was just a student paying attention and, and, and maybe it wasn't like they had a moment they're just like, wow, Jesus just said to me in a booming voice, I'm to put the hammer down and walk over and say nice things to this person, right? It's not that. It's paying attention to a moment where maybe God is saying something in your heart and you look and you go, I wonder if that person's hurting. So you go over and you ask. And maybe they're not hurting, but you've just paid attention to something spiritual going on in your heart. You've, you've just become a little bit more attuned to what Jesus might be doing. And maybe another day you ask the question and it's someone and they're hurting desperately. And your words of encouragement are like a little city on a hill. They're just a light of encouragement and it's like, Jesus got to do something through you. And that's the dynamic. See, that's the unpredictable thing. That's the thing where you're not following a pattern or a procedure, or you're not saying, okay, what am I supposed to do today, Jesus? And you, and, and you check it all off. It's that you enter the day and you just say, I'm in a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is in me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay attention to that. And maybe it's a, it's a moment where I need to set a boundary on something. Maybe it's a moment where I need to be vulnerable and extend myself. Maybe it's a moment where... I just seek to see if there's something that I can offer out of what Jesus has done in my life. And I promise you, as you pay attention to those things, as you pause in those moments, you will find Christ in you working more and more, sometimes in unpredictable ways, but in beautiful ways in there. Learn to pay attention to the mundane. Last thing, last thing. And it's this, because this comes out of this, and I'm, I won't tell you what it is just yet, but oftentimes, right, we will seek Christ within us. We'll, we'll, like maybe it's an answer to a hard question. Maybe it's trying to understand how we can enter a situation. Maybe there's something we're struggling with. And it's like, I don't know what he's saying to me right now. I, I, I don't, like, I keep asking, but it's not, he's not giving me the clarity that I would want in my spirit or heart in some way. So here's the, the third thing that I'd offer you in a practical way. Ask what your own heart is telling you in that moment. And I know, I know just as I said those words, ask what your own heart is telling you. You might be cringing a little bit inside. You might be going, is that legal? Is, are we supposed to do that? I thought, I thought the human heart was like a bad thing. I thought, isn't there a verse somewhere that says, you know, the, the human heart is, is like filthy rags and is wicked. And then Paul talks about, you know, depravity and just uh, the last thing we should trust is the human heart, right? Um, well, sort of. Okay, and I'm gonna walk this out here because, because if, if you're feeling a little doubt, that's okay. But I believe there really is something here to walking in a relationship with God where we don't become a robot, 
We're not a robot that's just like, okay, Jesus, what are you saying? Like, it's, it's understanding that you are his child. You are a human being he made. He made you with a beautiful free will. Sometimes uh, we don't use it real well. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to use it. It doesn't mean that there's not a moment to actually lean in and trust our heart and see if there isn't something that God has cultivated in our heart that he wants us to walk out. It's interesting. Throughout Scripture, yeah, there are points where you absolutely see Scripture say there's problems with the human heart. But you know what you also see in Scripture? In fact, when you get to the New Testament where we have this new relationship with Christ, what you see far more of is the kind of beautiful work that Jesus has done in the heart of his followers and wanting them to use that heart and that spirit. What's even more interesting to me is that even back in the Old Testament, back when the governance of the human being was under uh, like the Mosaic law, when, when it was an outer kind of construct of rules and regulations that we followed for how to behave and live, even back then, there was foreshadowing to when Jesus would come and how Jesus would do something entirely different that would be internal. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, back in the book of Ezekiel, if you want, turn to Ezekiel. Go, go to the middle of your Old Testament and then start flipping towards the end of the Old Testament. You'll come um, to the delightful book of Ezekiel, all right? Um, and in Ezekiel 36, in this foreshadowing of the kind of new relationship to come, uh, God says this through Ezekiel. He says this in, starting in verse 26. I will give you a new heart. And, and he's talking about way in the future, not at this moment, but what's to come. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and an even more striking, and I will put my spirit in you. I want you to think about this for a moment. If it wasn't for passages like this, I'd never tell you to lean into your own heart. I'd say, yeah, don't trust that, right? But... Again and again, Scripture keeps pulling us back to, as followers of Christ, there is an internal kind of work, an internal kind of maturing that he is doing. And Ezekiel got a foreshadowing of what that would be. And I want you to think about this, honestly, for a moment. It says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. And he doesn't just leave us with a new heart and a new spirit, and, and now we're just on our own, albeit with a new heart and a new spirit. Thirdly, and I will give you my spirit. So when I say lean into your heart, ask yourself, what is your heart telling you in those moments? I'm, I say that with an understanding that what, what you'll hold is, okay, God, that new heart you've given me, that new spirit you've given me, the fact that your spirit is in me and shaping these things, I'm going to trust that you are actually honest about what you said to Ezekiel, that you are honest about what you said to Jesus, that you are honest about what you said to Paul and all the other authors throughout the New Testament, that you are actually shaping something in me 
and that I can operate out of this. And so when you think about it in that way, in those moments, ask yourself, gosh, trying to make a big decision here. I'm trying to navigate something that, that, that maybe is a point of great frustration or, or, or a point of doubt or struggle. Ask yourself, what, what's my heart telling me right now? And, and the reason I say this is because as followers of Christ, sometimes it's easy to fall, when we reach these moments where there's this struggle to figure out what to do, the place we kind of want to gravitate back towards sometimes is a kind of black and white thinking that actually excuses us from the need to wrestle through relationally what it means to follow God in faith. And it's just like, I want to get back to that black and white thinking, just give me a clear yes or no, good or bad, and I'll just do it. But too often, when, when we just reach back to grab a hold of a, of a simple black and white kind of answer, what we're skipping is a relationship with God. What we're skipping is the wrestling of trying to live out of who God is actually making us. And I don't want you to skip that because that's not maturity. Living out of black and white thinking with great excellence is not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity comes in a kind of wrestling and trusting and having faith in God and walking that out. That is, that's what the New Testament describes as maturity, that kind of faith. That's a beautiful thing. That is the kind of organic faith that pulled a little community together in Rocky Point when no one was there. It, it, over a couple of years, when, uh, when things got harder everywhere in the world, especially where they were. And yet somehow they thrived. They came together in the most beautiful of ways. And it's out of that. And I want us to be a church where that is the thing that we're teaching. That is the thing that we're encouraging. That is the thing that we're pulling and helping one another in. That, like, that, because that's where we get to see the spirit of Christ come alive within our individual lives, but alive within us as a church. Um, just a quick illustration on this that I'll, I'll close out with uh, on this is uh, years and years ago, I was getting ready to uh, do a wedding and I had known this couple for years and years. Just wonderful young couple, watched them come up and they had dated for a long time and their engagement and everything. And then um, watched them struggle through a few things, which is not uncommon. And then here we are the day before the wedding. This is gonna be a huge wedding here on our campus. It was soon after we had moved up on this site. Huge wedding. And I'm talking with this couple in my office through some of the struggles. And originally I'd met with them because I was gonna talk them through this. So, you know, let's get this wedding on the way, right? And as I'm sitting there talking with them through this whole thing, I'm just like, I don't know if this is a good idea. This, this is like, they're just, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is like, and I just felt like God was nudging something in me. And the more I'm sitting there trying to get clarity on it, it's just like, I didn't have total clarity on it, okay? But I knew like Jesus is like doing something in me and just, and from every outward thing that you would look at, you would just say, yep, this, they're perfect for each other. They should get married. Just, put this aside and get on with the wedding, right? 
but I just couldn't. And I remember a moment of just going, okay, God, oh, man. I just, and it was a combination of maybe what Jesus was telling me with a combination of maybe this is what my own heart is telling me. And so I dare broach the subject of maybe this wedding should be put off. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And the moment I did, um, the bride-to-be just started crying. And she's like, I just feel like that's what, yes, I think it, it's like, I feel like maybe God's been telling me like, we shouldn't go through with this right now. And the groom, like, it was at this point, just like, oh, my gosh. Then you just see everything. And I thought that was the bad moment. Then I had to make a phone call to the bride's mom. That was the bad moment. <laughs> Trying to exp- explain the still small voice of Jesus in my heart in talking with her daughter when she was talking to me about the very loud squawk of friends and family that had already flown in for the wedding, right? Um, But months later, and then years later again, both of them came back and said, I am so glad that happened because we weren't ready. And if I would have just gone off the black and white indicators and like this, I would have totally done the wedding. But there was just like something that God was stirring in that moment. And sometimes, right, you'll, you'll have one of two things that'll happen with this. Like you'll go through this process and you'll seek Christ out and there will be moments where you will, you will come to feel or believe or understand that God is asking something of you. Go do this. And you know, here's my advice to you. Just obey it. Just follow God in that moment and walk it out. There will be other moments that you'll have where it's like God says, yep, yep, I have built and fashioned and grown these values in you. I have shaped your heart in this way. So let's go see what you decide to do. And sometimes those are the scariest. But what I would say is, step out, trust God, Trust what God has shaped in your heart and know this, know this, that if, if, if you trail off in some area accidentally, naively, where God doesn't want you to go, trust that the same Jesus who saved you is the Jesus who lives in your heart, who is perfectly capable, right, of letting you know and guiding you back in some place. Trust him. Trust him that even if you trust your own heart, even if you walk it out and it, and it leads over to something here, he can bring you back. <clears throat> but that, that is a path of experiencing the beauty and the power of Jesus in a way where he is central to your life. That is what we mean by being Christ-centered. Why don't you stand and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just close this out here this morning. And let me just say very quickly here, if you're visiting, if you're a guest here this morning, oh my gosh, it is so good to have you here. And I hope that you feel uh, welcome. 
And uh, I would love to just shake your hand and welcome you personally. I'm going to be right over uh, here right after the service. Come and see me. If you're here this morning, maybe you're hurting or struggling or you've got questions or something, um, want someone to pray for you, I encourage you, go to our prayer spot over here. And we've got some wonderful people that would love to just pray with you and for you uh, here this morning. Let, Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you. And we are so grateful for the kind of relationship that you invited us into. Instead of being a relationship centered around rules and regulations, it is one that is dynamic and truly relational. One uh, where you fill us with value um, as a father. And we thank you for that. And we pray that we will come to know you and grow in you and your son more and more. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have a great morning. See you next week.